Good morning. My name is Stuart Davidson. I'm the pastor here at Eastern Shore Baptist Church. Thank you for tuning in to today's podcast. You can learn more about our church by visiting our website, www.myesbc.net. Of course, if you would like to visit us on a Sunday morning, you'll see that we have life group classes or Sunday school classes that start at 9 a.m. And our service starts every Sunday at 1010 a.m. Come by and see us. God bless you. And I hope that you are motivated to look more like Jesus through today's podcast. Good morning, Eastern Shore Baptist Church. And for those of you that maybe are not members, but maybe you're just tuning in this morning, I want to say welcome. We are so thankful uh, that you have chosen to worship with us today. My name is Stuart Davidson. I'm the pastor here at Eastern Shore Baptist Church. And uh, if you want to, you can go ahead and flip in your Bibles to Luke chapter 15. We're going to be looking at verses 11 through 24. And friends, let me tell you, there is no greater word in the English language than the word home. I think there's something very powerful about the idea of coming home. You know, as you look through the narratives of history and throughout the centuries, you come across stories of men and women who long to come home. They, they want to do nothing else but be back with the people that they love. They have no more desire than to simply be back where people love them it's our nature to desire uh, to call some place home. I, I began to think about people who wanted to come home, famous stories, you know, even in sports. It wasn't long ago that uh, the, probably the best basketball player in the world right now, LeBron James, he was in Miami and he wanted to come back home to play basketball back in Cleveland. And there was an essay in Sports Illustrated about LeBron James holding a press conference, and he told everybody this press conference that he wanted to go back to his hometown, and, and the title of that article was, I'm Coming Home. And people had said that James had lost his way, and that finally, finally, LeBron James was going back to the place that was home for him. There's some great literary works as well that are all about characters that are coming home. One of my favorites is from uh, J.R. Tolkien's The Lord of the Rings. It tells the story of Frodo Baggins, who is tasked with destroying the evil ring of power. And Frodo, during this entire book, he is greeted and met, and he's got friends that are along with him. And throughout the entire book, they're talking about coming home, getting back to the Shire, being back with the people that love them and that they also loved. And then there's the Iliad, the Odyssey, all about characters who desire to come back home. What about, uh, what about Dorothy? What about Toto? Uh, of course, I'm talking about the famed Wizard of Oz. The entire time, if you read the book or watch the film, the entire time, old Dorothy and Toto, all they want to do is go back home to Kansas. How many of you have seen those powerful videos on Facebook or on Twitter where you have a United States serviceman or a servicewoman and, and she or he have been off uh, maybe in Afghanistan or Iraq, but they've been separated for their, from their families uh, for a, a number of months. And, and then they set up a scenario where this husband or this mother, they surprise their son or their daughter. Maybe the, their children are blindfolded and their children are suddenly unblindfolded and they're, 
they're greeted by their mom or their dad who's been off serving the country, and they just melt down in this collapse of tears and joy, all because finally mom or dad has come back home. By the way, I never get tired of those videos. I love those videos. I I can't help but stop and watch them every single time that they come on. A family being reunited again is such a special thing. You know, then we come to stories in the Bible. We meet character after character who meets God they stray away from God. They think they can never come back home. They think that they can never rediscover the relationship that has been severed and broken with the Lord. And yet God has already provided that person a way back to himself. Friend, that's exactly what Easter was. When you think about Easter, what happened on Easter last week, that was God making a way for us to return back to him. It was a, a, a clearly paved path marked with blood and suffering, so that we could return back to God. And brothers and sisters, if you hear nothing from me this morning, I want you to hear this. It's never too late to come back home. It's never too late to come back home. It's never too late to get back to God. Your Father, the Almighty One, has already made a way. He's already paved the path, and He's already carved the trail So that we, if we've ever strayed from him, that we can come back to him whenever we are ready. It's never too late to come home. Now this morning as we read from Luke chapter 15, I want to give you a bit of a a background and context. Uh, This chapter of Luke 15, it contains within it three parables that are linked And the reason why they are linked is because it explains why Jesus associates with sinners. The linkage is evident in the terms of of something is lost and then something is found. We see great sadness and then we see great joy. And we see this in the story of the lost sheep. The the shepherd loses one of his 100 and he leaves the 99. He chases after the one, bringing that sheep back into the fold. There's a celebration. And then we see the story yet again told by the woman in the lost coin. She loses one of the 10 coins. She sweeps her house. She lights lamps. She tears the home apart just so that she can find that one lost coin. And when she finds it, there's great joy. There's great celebration. And today, this morning, one of my most favorite parables in all of Scripture is this parable of the lost son. Now, you may notice it of being called the prodigal son. You have a son who demands his inheritance from his father. He leaves a loving care and protection of his home. He chases after wild things in the city. And then after a long while of being separated from his father, Scripture tells us that he comes to his senses. And he realizes that even the hired servants in my father's home are able to eat better than I eat. They're able to be clothed better than I'm clothed. They're able to be sheltered better than I'm sheltered. Maybe if I return back home, my father will at least treat me like one of his servants. And so he returns home only to find out that his father has been waiting for him since the day that he left. And Scripture tells us that his father, that he runs out to his son embracing him. Again, sowing that seed that it's never too late to come home. These parables introduce the importance of sinners for Jesus and for his disciples. 
The parable's drama is built on attention of an attempt to find something that has been lost. And by the way, have you ever lost something? I know that I have. The things that we typically lose in my home that come about being the most of annoyance is probably the remote control. That would be number one. And then probably number two would be my car keys. I always seem to lose my car keys. And I always seem to lose my car keys when I'm ready to go somewhere. There's great frustration when you lose something. And yet, there's great joy when you find it. Jesus is talking to uh, tax collectors and sinners and his disciples. And he tells these stories that offer comfort, especially in the face of Pharisees. Pharisees who believe that you have to be perfect, that you got to keep the law perfectly in order to have some type of an semblance of a relationship with God. And Jesus is now welcoming all these sinners. And he's welcoming them into his presence, into his home, and welcoming them into the kingdom of God himself. And so this morning we're going to read from Luke 15, verses 11 through 24. I'm reading from the English Standard Version. You can join me there if you would like. In verse 11, and he said, There was a man who had two sons. And the younger of them said to his father, Father, give me the share of property that is coming to me. And he divided his property evenly between them. Not many days later, the younger son gathered all that he had. He took a journey into a far-off country, and there he squandered his property in reckless living. And when he had spent everything, a severe famine arose in that country, and he began to be in need. So he went and hired himself out to one of the citizens of the country, who sent him to feed his pigs. And, after, and, and while he was doing so, he began to long to be fed with the pods that the pigs ate, and no one gave him anything. But when he came to himself, he said, How many of my father's hired servants have more than enough bread? But I, I perish here with hunger. I will arise and go to my father and I will say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Treat me as one of your hired servants. So he arose and he came to his father. But while he was still a long way off, his father, his father saw him and felt compassion and ran and embraced him and he kissed him. And the son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his servants, Bring quickly the best robe and put it on him. And put a ring on his hand and shoes on his feet. And bring the fattened calf and kill it. And let us eat and celebrate. For this my son was dead and now is alive again. He was lost and now he is found. And they began to celebrate. This morning, I want to walk you through three lessons, and certainly there are many more lessons to be garnered uh, from this parable, but three that really jumped out to me. Three lessons from a father's love. The first lesson that we should learn is that we have a father's relationship. We have a picture of a relationship that's been given to us in Luke chapter 15, verse 11. And he said, there was a man who had two sons. One of the sons was older. One of the sons was younger. Now we understand here that it was the younger son that asked the father for his share of the property. Now we need to understand who these characters are. First, we know that the father 
is the Father. It represents God. And we see that God is willing to bless his children. And then we have the older son, who is actually mentioned much later in Scripture. That older son, he is bound by law. He represents the Pharisees. Now the younger son, the younger son really represents two types. First, the younger son represents humanity as a whole. Humanity as a whole, always wanting from God, but never wanting to give to God. Always wanting the blessing of God, the benefit of God, without ever having to obey God. And yet it also represents the Gentiles. These are the folks that are outside of God's chosen people. These outside of the chosen people, the Jewish, the, the Jewish nation, the Hebrews. And so this younger son represents humans as a whole, but also Gentiles. And see, the Pharisees, the older son, he couldn't believe that the father was going to show love and acceptance back to the younger son, and yet he did. Just like they couldn't believe that, that God would open up his kingdom to the Gentiles. This is our plight. Humanity seeking to chase after meaningless things. Believing that this sort of living can somehow replace God's love. We have a God wanting to have a deep relationship with us. And the only thing that we can think about is removing ourselves from a loving father's authority. Did the younger son have any right to ask for his share of the inheritance? The answer is rhetorical. Of course he did not. The younger son had no right to any of the property that his father owned. That right was given exclusively to the older son. Not only did that, did that happen, but the younger son went in and said, Dad, I want my share of the inheritance. Friends, do you know when you receive an inheritance? Do you know at what point in your life that you receive an inheritance? It's usually when someone dies. It's usually when a mother, a father, a grandmother, a grandfather, when that person dies, that's when you receive their inheritance. Essentially what this son was going to his father saying, Dad, listen, I would rather have your money than have you. Dad, I would rather you be dead so that I can live off of your wealth than have a relationship with you. This son goes into his father's presence. He thumbs his nose at his dad. And yet we see from his dad that there is no condemnation. As this young boy comes into his father's presence and as he sins right in front of his father, we see that there is no condemnation that comes from the father. We see that we have a, a relationship that is wanting to be had by the dad. We see that there is a connection that is wanting to take place between the father and towards the son. Maybe not towards the son to the father, but certainly from the father towards the son. So now that we understand who the characters are and who they represent, I want to point out the core of today's parable, the core of the story. It was we have a father seeking to have a relationship a damaged, broken relationship to his son. You know, I began to think about the way I would feel if any of my children came up and spoke to me the way that this young man spoke to his father. And see, as a dad, all I've ever wanted to do with my children is to connect with them. You know, when we connect, there's a level of vulnerability. And we see this as the father opens himself up to both the love and the pain of having children. 
This man clearly loves his sons, but in that love, we see that both boys have the ability to hurt him. And by the way, this is a downfall of fatherhood. When it comes to our kids, we love them more than anything, and perhaps there is no one in the world that can potentially hurt us more than our own children. However, in spite of the dangers of being hurt and disappointed, we lovingly long to connect to our kids. We love them. We have compassion. We show tenderness to our children in the same way that God loves and shows tenderness to us. And I would say another lesson is that one of the biggest things that jumps out to me is this lack of judgment and condemnation that this father gives to his youngest son. While there is no doubt that this son has hurt his father, he has given him a pain that's probably very difficult to bear, yet his father does not cast hurt on his son. His father shows a level of maturity that many men do not have. That when a man is hurt, oftentimes that man will reflect that hurt and that pain towards everybody else. And yet this man, when he is hurt, he shows a level of spirituality and maturity that most people don't have. No judgment. No condemnation. The father never loses his sense of compassion and love. The father is disappointed with his son's action, but he never gives up on his child. And we'll talk more about that here in the second point. However, I will say that dads are often disappointed in the decisions of their children. In the course of ministry, I have spoken to many dads, many moms, in fact, who've become disheartened over the choices of their children. Uh, Maybe it's a child that grew up in the church and now is no longer connected to a fellowship or a body of believers. Maybe it's a child who is a prodigal son, hasn't just left the church, but maybe perhaps that son or daughter has left the faith altogether. And it's been a a source of brokenheartedness for those parents. It didn't matter who I'm talking to as a mom or dad. What I've always said, what I've learned from this scripture is never give up on your kids. Never give up on the prodigal son. Never give up on the prodigal daughter. Because at some point in their life, you have to hope, you have to pray, you have to believe that God is going to wake that child up. That God is going to speak to that boy or to that girl and say, come home Don't live the way you're living. You're asking for pain. You're asking for suffering. You're going down a road of destruction. Don't go that way. And yet even if that child does go that way, as moms and dads, we have to act with a level of maturity and spirituality that is shown here in this father, that the door is always open. One of my favorite Old Testament books is Jeremiah. Jeremiah chronicles the path of a people, the Israelites, running from God. And these Israelites have chased after different spiritual relationships. They've not sought God's blessings, but rather they've sought uh, the worldly blessings. And for the record, there's always consequences when we seek after worldly things. After all, the son that abandons the father in this parable, signs up for starvation. He signs up for suffering. He signs up for nakedness. He signs up for no shelter. He, he at one point, 
I can imagine as he was spending all of his wealth, he probably had lots of people that were in his posse. He probably had a lot of folks that were his friends. And yet when it came to his time of need, they were all gone. I can imagine this young man felt a sense of abandonment and betrayal. Nevertheless, Jeremiah, in Jeremiah's book, he leaves the door open for a wayward people, much in the same way that Jesus leaves the door open for the prodigal son. Listen to what Jeremiah says in Jeremiah 31, verse 3. The Lord appeared to him from from far away. I have loved you with an everlasting love. Therefore, I have continued my faithfulness to you. Doesn't that sound like a picture of a father who's been waiting for his son to return? I have loved you. I have loved you from far away. I've been waiting for you. God is always waiting for us to come home. The father in this story displays the love, the joy, and the pain that comes along with being a father and a parent. Moms and dads, don't give up on your children. Moms and dads, maybe today you need to come back to your father. Three lessons that come from a father's love. We have a a father's relationship in verse 11. And in in the Roman numeral two is this. We have a father's release. And we see this in verse 11 and 13. One of the most fascinating things about God is that he will often release his children to themselves. Meaning that if we don't want God's love, we are free to reject God's love. Theologically, we call this free will. We see this displayed in the garden when Adam and Eve chose to rebel against God and go their own way. And after the rebellion, there is some very, very dire consequences that are still playing out today. Adam, you and Eve, you can no longer live in the garden. Can you imagine that? Being thrown out of a perfect place. And you will now live a life of suffering and pain. Adam and Eve, you will surely die. A characteristic that has played out not just to Adam and Eve, but to their children all the way to us here today. Then after they suffer the consequence, we see a a path of redemption through sacrifice. And we see this pattern in the Bible over and over and over again. We have rebellion, we have consequence, and we have redemption. We have rebellion, we have consequence, and we have redemption. And we see this truth, this path through the prodigal son. God allows us to run. He never forces himself upon us. He doesn't make us choose him. God did not choose us to be or make us or create us to be robots. We are not automatons that are programmed to do certain things and certain functions. God has said, no, as an act of love, I will allow you to make your own choices. Friends, you cannot have love if you do not have choice. You cannot have love if you don't have choice. And that's what I've discovered in, in my marriage. In my marriage, I don't know about yours, but I've discovered that in my marriage, that there are times when I am very unlovable. There are times when in my life, maybe I'm in a bad mood. Maybe I'm suffering from a bad habit. Maybe I've gone some different directions. There are times in my life where I have been very unlovable. And yet my wife chose to love me. 
See, many times love is all about a choice. It's not about how you feel. Love is not a feeling, especially once you get beyond year one of marriage and say you get into year 20 of marriage. You still feel something for that person, but in many ways, love is a choice. You choose to love. And we see this illustrated. He created us with the ability to make free will decisions. He created us to choose either to love him or hate him, knowing that true love is only grounded in the bedrock of choice. Even though the father grants to his youngest son his request, the father's hand is not far off. The son demands his, his portion of the inheritance, a request, and this day and age that's akin to telling your father that you're better off if he was dead. Dad, I don't love you anymore. I just love your money. It's hurtful on so many levels. The Father, like God, grants the request. If you don't want God's presence in your life, fine. Can you imagine, though, for those of us that are believers, for those of us that have a relationship and a walk with the Lord, can you imagine coming to a place in your life where you say, God, I don't want your presence in my life any longer. I don't need your help anymore. All I want is your benefit. All I want is your blessing, but I don't want you. Can you imagine how hurtful that would be to God? And yet there are people constantly that come to the throne room of God and say just those things. They may not say it in word, but they say it in action. Like the father to the prodigal son, God really does let us go when we want to run away. But he certainly always hopes that we will come to our senses. And he wants us to remember that it's never too late to come home. Illustrated powerfully in Scripture, Romans chapter 1, verse 24, Paul's words, So God abandoned them to do whatever shameful things their heart desired. As a result, they did vile and degrading things with each other's bodies. Fathers, we've been tasked to be the corrective hand on our child's life. You know, I had one dad say to me many, many years ago, he said, you know, Stuart, I don't understand. This dad, you know, he, he should have just knocked this kid around. When that kid walked into him and said, Dad, I wish you were dead. Dad, I'd rather have your money. That's the time to bring out the belt. But that's a time for hard discipline. That's a time when you lock that kid up and say, no, 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 you're not going to talk to me that way. Now, what's really interesting, as my first son was born, my second son was born, and as our third son was adopted and brought into our family, the relationship as a dad that I've had with my children has changed over the years. When they were young, one, two, three, four, you know, I was able to control their behavior. It was a lot easier to discipline a child when they're one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight. It's much easier to discipline a child when they're younger. But the nature of life is this, that even though at a, as, as they're young, the hand on their life is steady and strong, but as they get older, the nature of life just says that eventually the grip as dads and as fathers that we have on our children's life becomes weaker and weaker over time. It doesn't mean that we have less influence over our children. It just means that we have less of an impact disciplinary-wise. There are many things that come, uh, that, that come in the relationship between a father and a son. That the relationships with friends become much more important. 
the relationship with the world, especially now that we live in such a technological world, becomes important. And so as a child becomes 15, 16, 17, 18 years old, you cannot have the same relationship with an 18-year-old as you would with a 4-year-old. Because that 18-year-old is going to demand freedom. And I have a 14-year-old. And even though my influence is still pretty thick on him, he still demands freedom. He longs to be free. And that's good. But this means that eventually our children are going to make their own free will choices and there's nothing that we can do about that. At some point, a father has to release their children. A mother has to release their children, allowing them to become adults and allowing them to take hold of the lessons that we've taught them over all these years. Eventually, eventually, my children, all three of them, they've been raised in church. They've been to every VBS. They went to Awana. They did a children's choir. They've been on choir tour. They've been a disciple now. They have done Bible drill. Eventually, all of that information is going to have to belong to them. This faith that we've installed in our children eventually has to become their faith. It doesn't matter what I believe anymore. It has to become theirs. And so here you have a father. This dad is not dealing with a four-year-old. He can't just spank him and send him on his way. He's dealing with an adult. And that adult has free will. And that adult in his free will choice says, Dad, I would rather you be dead. I wish I had your money. And so here we have a mature father that says, You know what? If that's what you want, fine. I can't force you to love me. Why? Because you're not a robot. Because you have choice. We have to love like our Heavenly Father loves. We have to be open and compassionate. And of course it hurts, but we cannot force our children to love us. We can force obedience. We can force obedience for a time, but like the prodigal son, eventually we have to let go. Letting go, by the way, does not mean giving up. Letting go does not mean that the door is closed. Letting go, in so many ways, is the ultimate act to allow our prodigals the process of actually returning back home to us. Letting go does not mean that you ever stop waiting for your son or daughter to return back. Letting go does not mean that you are done praying for your son or for your daughter to come back home. The father's reaction to the prodigal son and his elder son mirrors the answer of Abraham Lincoln that he gave to a question when he was asked about how he would treat all the Confederate soldiers after the Civil War was over. And this reporter expecting vengeance and maybe even thoughts of execution from Abraham Lincoln was taken aback and very surprised by Abe Lincoln's response. Abe Lincoln said, I will treat them as if they had never been away. I will treat them as if they had never been away. In Psalm 139, verses 7 through 10, it says, Where shall I go from your spirit, or where shall I flee from your presence? If I ascend to heaven, you're there. If I make my bed in Sheol, you're there. If, if, I, 
If I take the wings of the morning and dwell in the uttermost parts of the sea, even there your hand shall lead me and your right hand shall hold me. You can't escape the Father's presence. He's always there, but he's never going to force himself on you. So we have a a father's relationship. In Roman numeral 2, we see the father release this free will son to his own behavior. And then we have in Roman numeral 3, a father's run in verse 20. And he arose and he came to his father. But while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and felt compassion and ran and he embraced him and he kissed him. So the son comes to his dad and says, Dad, I really wish you were dead. I really would like to just have your money. And the father, because he can't force his love on his son, he relents and allows his son to choose death over life. And for a time, the son is happy. And then sin has its way and consequences set in. And the son realizes the error of his ways and he longs to come home. And we see demonstrated in Scripture one of the most beautiful actions in the Bible. While a long way off, the father, having never taken his eyes off the road, looking for his son, the father stands and runs after he sees his son at a great distance. When he comes to his son, he embraces him and he kisses him. And one, what, what was once lost is now found. The son is home and the father is happy. Anytime a prodigal returns home, the father is always happy. And friend, we've been just about every character in this story. We certainly have been the prodigal son. We have certainly been the one that has stepped out of favor with God. And and hopefully you've experienced what it's like to come back home to the father. Many of us have been like the father whose sons or daughters leave home and say they don't want anything else to do with them. And yet receive the joy of that child coming back home. Clearly it's a parable about salvation, but it offers a message of hope that goes far beyond salvation. There are so many people who have who are lost and think that they're too far gone to even be known by God. And this parable is a a three-part message to say, yes, you can come back. You can come back. The Father is waiting. The Father is running to you. You know, one of the interesting parts about this parable is that when the son left his family, He had to leave the things of his family behind. If you notice, the father told the son to to bring back the ring and put that ring back on his son's hand. That ring would have had the family seal or crest on it. When the son left to go chase after wild living, he would have had to leave that ring behind because he was no, no longer part of the family. The same thing with the robe. He would have left his robe, a robe that had his family signet on it. A seal that would tell everybody that this boy is a part of this family. Well, he would have had to leave that behind because he was no longer a part of the family. And so as the son was coming home, he thought to himself, well, maybe I can just be a hired servant. And the father says, no, no, no. You have come home not just to be a servant. You've come home to be my son. Go get the ring that you left. You are now a part of this family. Go get the robe that was left behind. Wear that robe with pride. 
because now you are a part of this family. 1 John chapter 3, verse 1. See how very much our Father loves us, for he calls us his children, and that is what we are. Friends, I'm going to close today with a, a really short video, about three-minute video, and I think it really powerfully illustrates the prodigal son story. And let me tell you, after that video, I'm going to pray for you. And maybe you are the prodigal son. Maybe it's time for you to relent, for you to come to your senses, to come back home. It's never too late to come home. Would you play that video? since we talked, I was, you know, was kind of hoping you'd answer, but um, I understand that you probably don't want to talk to me. I've just gone so far, and the things I've done, I, I just regret it, you know? And I know how bad I've hurt you and let you down, but, but Dad, I, I miss you. I miss how we drive around and just talk about life. And I just, I just want to come home. But I know you've probably written me off. I can't blame you, actually. Here's, here's, here's the thing. It's kind of a shot in the dark, but I'm, uh, I'm coming through town soon, and to see you. I know I can't just show up at the front door like I used to, but but if you want to see me, just hang a small sheet out on the porch. And if the sheet isn't there, when I drive by, I'll keep going and, and I'll try not to bother you anymore. I love you, Dad.
Would you bow your heads and pray with me? Father, we want to thank you for the phenomenal parable that Jesus has told. That, Lord, it is never too late to come home. Father, I, I want to thank you that you have accepted a prodigal son. Lord, I, I have been there. I know what it's like to run from your presence. Father, I just thank you that you have forgiven me. And Lord, I know that that forgiveness can extend to so many other people. Father, I just pray that you will never make anyone feel guilty. Lord, I don't believe that's your, I don't believe that's how you operate. I believe that, Lord, you convict. But I don't believe that you make anyone feel guilty or that you shame anyone. But Father, maybe there is that young man or that young woman who's been apart from their father for too long. And not just their earthly father, but their heavenly father. Lord, I pray that you will show that person compassion as you have shown me compassion. And that, Lord, you would plant a seed in their mind to come back home to come back to be in your presence, to come back to the faith that they once owned. Lord, that they would come back to fall back in love with you again. Lord, thank you that you never turn your back on us. Lord, that you never let us go. And that, Lord, you never give up on us. Lord Jesus, I pray a a special blessing on those that are tuned in this morning. Lord, I pray that they will feel your presence now, that they will feel hope and love and encouragement, knowing, Lord, that the church is alive and well. Lord, we are the church. This building just houses it. But, Lord, thank you that we have you And thank you, Lord, that we have each other. Father, bless those that are hurting today, suffering from illness or sickness. Lord, that are in the hospital. Father, we pray that your presence would be with them and that they would feel your peace. Bless us now, Lord, as we continue to worship. And we pray this today in Jesus' name. Thanks again for tuning in to today's podcast. And we hope to see you again on Sunday morning. Of course, you can also watch our services live on YouTube. Simply search Eastern Shore Baptist Church on YouTube, and at 10.05, our broadcast starts. We hope to see you soon. God bless you. And again, visit our website, www.myesbc.net. God bless you, and we'll see you next week.